0: Discover more resources and continue the conversation at Apologetics.org. And now, your host, the Research Professor of Bible and Theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, and thank you
1: for joining us. Uh, I know it's kind of a cliche thing to talk about the weather, but I actually really am enjoying the weather. I've been looking forward to not sweating When I walk outside, we're based in the Tampa, Florida area, so it's usually hot here, but it has been very nice over the last uh, week or so. And it's supposed to be cool this weekend. Dr. Woodward, how have you liked it?
2: Oh, I have loved it. I just, uh, I feel like shouting and exulting and giving thanks to God, okay, who's behind the weather patterns. uh, When we get those cool breezes and it slips down into the 60s and people up north are going to be saying, What 60s? It's in the 40s and 20s up here, yeah, uh, New York or Ohio or Minnesota, whatever. But um, I just love it. I just totally love it when it when it gets cool. I I think you do too.
1: Oh, I do. I I played flag football this week. I played golf, and it was nice just not being miserably hot. So (laughs) I I always look forward to that.
2: That's wonderful. Well, I'm excited to be uh, with you. Uh, uh, What do you think about uh, talking about Jesus, his resurrection? And the Jewish take on it today?
1: Uh, I think that's always a good idea, especially today.
2: Yes, well, I am excited to talk about a very unique individual. Now, I was told never, never put any qualifier on unique, as in most unique, more unique, or very unique, because unique is unique, you know, it's one of a kind. But I'm going to go ahead and say this is extra unique, this is very unique, because how often does a Jewish scholar and I'm referring to the late uh, Pinchas Lapide, L-A-P-I-D-E is the spelling of his last name. And um, the, the author of The Resurrection of Jesus, A Jewish Perspective. And if you look at him, really, in the light of uh, other scholars who talk about God and who talk about Christ, but who are not Christians, he remained a Jewish scholar to the end of his days. It's kind of, it's like Gamaliel. it has has arisen gamaliel the leader of the jew uh, jewish uh you know uh study theological study in the time of paul who really was the one who uh under whom paul got his advanced training in theology gamaliel had stood up on behalf of the apostles and what they were saying in acts chapter five as potentially true possibly that it could be proven to be true And so the Jewish leaders, said Gamaliel, should not be trying to destroy, to attack violently, to basically um, stop in their tracks and even put to death the apostles, because they might be true. So that, but, you know, he was not one of them. He was not a disciple of Jesus. Like I said, he had trained Paul in theology, and the rest is history, because Gamaliel's caution Became like the backstory that became the front headline news, front story news. That Jesus was the, that not only were the disciples and, and the apostles' declaration totally right and on the money, uh, Gamaliel's prediction uh, was really that, you know, just let them speak, let their case be proven. And if it's not true, it'll fall apart and no one will even remember them. Well, it's the opposite. Christianity, the largest, um, you know, religion on the planet and not even, you know, counting necessarily only born again Christians, um, but the, the quantity of number of people who've been preached, who've been impacted by the message of Christ is astounding. And of course, the basis for our faith isn't just, you know, stories, isn't myths or legends. We believe its foundations are fact. The Christian faith is as solid as a rock, like a a huge slab of granite, you know, 100 feet long, 30 feet thick. Uh, You can stand on top of it. You can build a house on top of it. You can build a building on top of it. And so what I'd like to do is just uh, bring in this uh, kind of special guest testifier on behalf of the resurrection of Christ, Pinchas Lapid and explain what he did to the story of Christ to vindicate it from an outside perspective. Now, I don't know, uh, Nick, if you are aware that we have on our uh, resources at apologetics.org, we've just recently added uh, the Gamaliel section, which brings in over 20 leaders in the intellectual world that have um, really spoken out on behalf of of creation, of of even Christ Himself, even though many of them are atheists, I think that's pretty significant. When we have so many non Christians who are saying, "Hey, you guys might be right." What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's really interesting and important. Um, and I and I also think it's it's kind of cool to have somebody from that perspective. Um, and I mean, even going back to the literal Gamaliel um, having him say like, "There there has to be for him to say that there had to be some sort of merit to what Christ was doing." or at least the potential for some sort of merit, even from his perspective. So it's cool um, to have guys like that, who, of course we want everybody, we desire everybody to be saved just like God does, but to have people who are saying, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this before we dismiss it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I, I love to direct people's attention to such figures as Thomas Nagel. Uh, Thomas Nagel wrote a very important book just about 10 years ago, Mind and Cosmos. And in that book, He's exploring the foundations of Darwinian evolution and finds that there's nothing left to it. It's built on air. And when, when Thomas Nagel, who is still an atheist philosopher, as I know, he's still living, and one of the top experts in the world on consciousness, what is consciousness and how does it work in relation to the mind-matter dualism that was presented by Descartes, the French philosopher back in this late 1600s. And of course, to this day, the the issue of consciousness is a huge, huge problem for the philosophy of materialism, the atheistic take on it. It could be naturalism. You can describe that philosophy as naturalism. But naturalism and its uh, kid sister materialism, they cannot explain consciousness. And so when he wrote his book, Mind and Cosmos, he basically said two things. Number one, Darwinism is dead in the water. It has failed the empirical test. And he explains how he reads on both sides of the issue. And having read uh, very extensively in the works of Michael Behe, Stephen Meyer, David Berlinski, and all the other experts in this area on the Darwin side, he says basically we owe a debt of gratitude to the intelligent design uh, some beautiful work that they've done, the scientists and design theory. And he says that, you know, at the end of the book, uh, I am so, um, so clear, the cracks in the foundation are so huge and so decisive that uh, within the next generation, uh, scholars will be laughing at Darwinism thinking, you know, how could anyone have ever embraced this view? And that's an atheist. That's one of the top thinkers in the world today, Thomas Nagel. Again, he avows that he has not become a Christian. As a matter of fact, he just doesn't doesn't really like, I kind of laugh at that point. It's like, you know, put, put your little quotation marks, put your fingers up and do the quotation marks around the word like. I don't like Christianity. I don't like the idea that I'm accountable, but still, the, the academic foundations for the opposite worldview, the Darwinian worldview, are without merit, he says. So he would be an example of a Gamaliel. I mean, we have a, a very um, good summary, I think, of about 21 Gamaliels. And I'm going to be adding this week to that list uh, Pinchas Lapid. He's the focus for today. So who was he? So uh, think of him as a fellow who was born uh, just uh, at the time after World War I, In the 1920s, he lived until 1997. So he think of him as a latter uh, 20th century figure in Israeli history. He was actually instrumental as an emissary and later, um, you know, official, um, you know, one of the key representatives of Israel in Italy. Uh, So he was raised in Germany, but really was affiliated with Israel and Italy after that. But Pinchas Lapid, in his scholarship, wrote over 30 books. He was an expert in history and theology. And his most shocking book he ever wrote was called The Resurrection of Jesus, A Jewish Perspective. And in that book, he makes some statements that are like, what? I mean, how does that come from the pen of an Israeli, truly Jewish writer? And let me just go ahead and read the first of three quotes. And I, uh, as everybody braced, okay, we're going to be in a little bit of a kind of a uh, earthquake here. Uh, this, is, this is pretty big. So, I accept the resurrection of Easter Sunday, not as an invention of the community of disciples, but as a historical event. If the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on that Easter Sunday were a public event, which had been made known, not only to the 530 Jewish witnesses, but to the entire population, all Jews would have become followers of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I agree with the latter part of the statement, but to say that he is Jewish, and by the way, he doesn't consider himself, did not consider himself Messianic Jewish, like fully embracing the New Testament, fully embracing that God was uh, revealing the true Messiah for the Jews and Gentiles together. He just says that Jesus was the Gentile Messiah, a very interesting thought. But here, here is where I'm going to go ahead and bring in the key reason for this Jewish scholar, uh, for Lapid, to admit, to not just admit, to write a book on the issue of Jesus being raised from the dead. And let me just say that this is, of course, the understanding of all Christians uh, from the the moment of the resurrection onward, because the, the news spread like wildfire. It was the bonfire at the core of this spread of Christian faith across the Roman Empire and beyond. And so that the fact that God had not only sent his son, God had not only been eternally God, but at this point entering mankind as one of us, and not only as a perfect perfect person who'd never sinned once. Uh, Not only had he made the perfect payment for our sins, laid his life down in atonement to absorb the the righteous indignation of God against sin, but having done that, he exploded, he vaporized, he nuked the, the enemy, namely death, sin, and hell by rising from the dead. And so here's what Pinchas Lapid says as to why he at least accepts the event as actually historical. And again, this is extremely rare. This is unique in the history of the Jewish Christian dialogue, is the bombshell book, which came out literally in the 1990s that rocked the world. I I actually sat there trembling in my seat at the Library of Eastern College in Pennsylvania when I tracked down the book before I realized, hey, I can order it on Amazon. For a reasonable price. So, but here's the quote. This is the most famous quote of Pichas Lapid. If the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. Interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that is very interesting.
2: Yeah, I'll read it again. If the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith based only on auto-suggestion, self-deception, without a fundamental faith experience, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. And then he says, I accept the resurrection of Easter Sunday, not as an invention of the community of disciples, but as an historical event. Boom. It's
1: it's interesting because I I wonder who, um, if he had come up with that thought or if he had been reading uh, different theologians, because that's obviously an argument that, that many Christians use, that the transformation of the apostles and the followers of Christ who went from literally being in hiding and probably shaking, scared, to all of a sudden they're going out and giving their lives and being crucified upside down, beheaded, and um, so I'd wonder where he, the source where he got that, unless he came up with it.
2: Well, and, and of course, I think it's because he was dealing with the original text, and had thought very deeply and seriously about the data of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and keep in mind, during the 20th century, the attack on the, uh, the gospel John was f- pretty ferocious. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were dismissing the gospel uh, of John as <laughs> not written by John, number one, number two, mm-hmm. dating from the middle or end of the second century. They said it was just a kind of a, um, a pseudo John. This was somebody put their name on it, on John's uh, name rather, on it as if it was John who wrote it, but he was uh, basically these group of scholars were saying, oh, of course, John didn't write it. It has too much of this uh, kind of Gnostic thought. Well, John is anti-Gnostic. It is not Gnostic at all. If anything, John goes out of his way to stress the literality of the physicality of Jesus's body. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but it, when, when you study the, the context, when pinkhouse Lapid was writing uh, on these issues, and then finally, at the end of his life, writing this very shocking book, it kind of sent shockwaves across the, the world of theology in biblical studies when he published it, but when, when Lapid wrote his book, he said, no, no, I, I'm still Jewish, you know, okay, just don't, don't attack me, you know, I'm, I'm one of you guys, but he's trying to say that Jesus is the, again, the, I'm just gonna maybe shock some people, but Lapid is saying Jesus is the Gentile Messiah, so it's almost like God has two messiahs, and he says it's possible that if Jesus does come back, as he predicted, then at the return or the, the coming, the appearing, the parousia, that's the Greek word, then Jesus would, at that point, become the Jewish Messiah. In other words, he's not the Jewish Messiah. I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense. This is, of course, where I would thank you, Pink for affirming the literal resurrection of Christ. Uh, Christ was raised from the dead to vindicate his message to the Gentiles, but there's not two Messiahs, you know, you know like, okay, you got to wait 2,000 years before the Jews then can accept him as Messiah. He's your Messiah right now. Who were all the early, uh, the 12 apostles, you know, with Matthias taking the place of Judas? Let me ask you a question, Nick Shalna, were those 12 guys Jews or Gentiles? Uh, they, they were Jews.
0: That's okay. the point.
2: Ding, ding, ding. You got it right. <laughs> you're on a roll. Let me just ask, maybe ask a couple more questions here. Okay. The early um, church in Jerusalem that is described in the days following Pentecost, were those primarily Gentiles or Jews? They were Jews. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Well, You're really racking up the points here. It's hard. I think you're going to be valedictorian of, of, the, of the Woodward Bible class today. Yeah, I'm the only um, guy, so I hope so. Yeah, you're the only guy, so number one out of a group of one. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, I mean, and and I know the Jewish um, opponents were thick and, and heavy and fierce and intense in their opposition to Paul. As you go through the book of Acts, I'm actually teaching through Acts, and we just finished chapter 20, and we're having far too much fun. But what I'm trying to say here is that there is an actual shock value in Lapid as one of these uh, Gamaliel figures, who is really sticking his neck out. He's almost risking not only his career as a a respected um, historian, theologian, uh, commentator on these issues of modern religion, but he's actually, you know, basically positing a new perspective for the Jewish people to consider. And that is, instead of explaining away the resurrection, instead of trying to say, oh, it never happened. Oh, they stole the body. Oh, Jesus never died. (laughs) Oh, they went to the wrong tomb. Uh, Oh, it was hallucination. Uh, Over and over. They just kept having these hallucinations. Now, the problem of that, of course, is you do not sit down and have a 20-minute discussion about Bible passages during a hallucination, right? Right. (laughs) Thank you. That was the correct answer again. (laughs) Uh, So, But the, the whole point is, is that, is that if you see the account that, and this is where Gary Habermas's work at Liberty University is so important, um, one of the great resurrection scholars uh, of our era and perhaps the greatest resurrection scholar of all time, Gary Habermas argues, and, and he also points out this uh, shocker from Lapid, but Habermas points out that the actual report that Paul includes in 1 Corinthians 15 is so, is so striking and so powerful and so early. It looks like it was put together in the, in the opening months after the event happened. One scholar at Cambridge University, James Dunn, has said, I'm convinced by my research that this formula, this statement of the death for sinners and the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the list of eyewitnesses was put together within six months of the event. Think about that. You know, within six months of, let's say, the assassination of JFK, if we had a list of exactly the events around it and all the eyewitnesses were there, they contributed, they signed off on it, we would put much more stock in that than somebody who says, like, 40 or 50 years later, oh, I think that some guy, uh, you, you, know, um, you know, over around the corner was uh, actually the one that caused uh, Kennedy's assassination, you know, we don't have any photograph of him, we don't have any written evidence, we don't have any interviews, we don't have any, any empirical evidence whatsoever, but I, that's my theory. Well, that would be kind of an interesting theory that um, it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald that shot him, but, you know, maybe 15 people or five people or whatever. I, I'm not denying the possibility that there was another uh, person firing. I'm just saying, let's look at the early evidence that was recorded, gathered, and and carefully examined right at that time.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: That's what we have in 1 Corinthians 15. And then when you get to Luke, Luke, of course, relying on eyewitnesses, probably talked to every single one of the apostles personally, knew Paul very well, and actually was with Paul during parts of the book of Acts so that's, uh, that's very much, uh, you know, the power, um, empirical, strong basis of what he writes. But Luke says in his very, very important study in, in the last chapter of Luke, that uh, we we have an encounter of Christ in the upper room. And when he arrives, he invites the disciples to examine him. They thought that he was a ghost. So in this amazing last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24, we find some of those powerful evidence, uh, empirical evidence for the resurrection. And I think that that's part of the um, fund for the explosion of evidence that drove uh, Pinchas Lapid to his conclusion. Because Jesus, when he's uh, literally there in front of eyewitnesses, these you know, gathered 10 of the 11 apostles that were still with Jesus, um, Thomas was not there, but the, uh, the other 10 were, had been having a meal, so when Jesus appears, they're shocked, they're flabbergasted, they're thinking it's a ghost, at least some of them, and then he shows them his wounds and uh, lets them handle his body if they want to touch it, and then he says, do you have anything here to eat? And they said, well, we have a bit of broiled fish left, and Luke <laughs> says he picked up that fish and ate it in front of them, why would he report that detail? Why would he bother to include such an odd little fact? Well, number one, it happened, and they observed it. And Number two, it demonstrates for the, as it were, the watching world, listening into those eyewitnesses, that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead bodily and not just in some ghost-like form. This was not a hologram this is not you know princess leia saying help me obi-wan kenobi you're our only hope you know the little hologram projected from r2 i think r2d2 mm-hmm. and so this is something tangible this is not just a 3d you know trick this is the little literal body of christ raised to glorious new life a higher level of life than we can ever imagine and so i wanted to just challenge uh, everyone here to dive deep into our study of the Gamaliels, and you can go to apologetics.org, just click on resources, and right there in the drop-down, you'll see the Gamaliel um, listing. It's about three pages long. It's, uh, I think, going to be one of the most exciting summaries of outsiders who are speaking up boldly and pointing to the truth of the Christian faith back over to you.
1: The resurrection is the most amazing event in world history alongside Jesus becoming man, taking on flesh. Um, And if we had this much evidence, not just evidence, but really overwhelming proof for any other historical event from 2,000 years ago, we would be boasting about it. Nobody would have any doubt about it. Go ahead and survey the evidence for yourself and open up scripture for yourself and read these stories. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. And when you decide to put your faith in Christ, or if you have any questions, please send us an email at information at apologetics.org. And we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.